Welcome to the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. I'm David Pratt, along with the president of Everything Financial, Peter Shashecki. Now on season two, episode 14, we are going to go over the 10 key questions on taxes, or as we like to call it, episode T. Morning, Dave. Here we Good. go again. We're going to talk about everyone's favorite subject to hate, yeah. taxes. Yeah. My favorite subject to hate we're going to show you how to keep more of your money, all the different ways you can do it, and some simple rules to follow so you don't give away your hard-earned money to the filthy government. <laughs> Mind you, these will all be legal things. We're not really talking about a bunch of tax strategies like the home equity line of credit deduction and things like that with interest we've done before. But these are just simple rules and simple things people can follow to just make sure they don't make silly mistakes and keep more of you know, your hard-earned money. It's your money, not the government's. I want you to have it and spend it, not them. Okay. Here's my first real question, okay, because there's confusion about this. What What is tax filing day? That that seems to be rather important. Is it like April the 30th, June 15th? It, I'm already it, confused. It, yeah, there's a couple of them. Well, last year it was in September, remember, with that COVID thing yes. that was going around, which is still going around, but our tax day is now back to the normal day, so don't ask me. I can't figure it out. Those mm -hmm. people in Ottawa figure these things out, but well, they're not even going there right now. I'll save yeah. that for later. Um, April 30th is the tax filing date for normal Canadians, normal Canadians, but just people who collect a salary or paycheck. Um, they have to file on April 30th. You want to make sure all your taxes that if you owe are also paid by April 30th. Now there's another tax filing date, September or June 15th, sorry, for self-employed people. But the thing is what, what confuses people, Dave, and, and again, here's one of our first silly tips so you don't yeah. just give away money. If you're a self-employed person, but you're going to owe money, you have to pay that money by April 30th, even though you don't have to file your taxes till June 15th. Otherwise, you're going to have interest charges, penalties, um, disruption of benefits. So there's benefits you get from the government that if you haven't paid, you're not going to get those benefits. That can ouch, affect you. Ouch, ouch, Now, so, so, is this everything? You know, I mean, a list of talking... benefits too. Yeah. <laughs> but is it everything, Peter? You know, from GST, old age security? I mean, is it all of it? Yeah, um, GST or HST as it is in some provinces. I mean, your your credits you're going to get there, your old age security benefits, um, the Canada child tax uh, benefit that you get. Like there's a lot of these little benefits that you get, you count on, they add to your income, they add up that if you don't do things right, you're leaving that money with the government. So if you're, not that I'm a proponent of, paying the government when you don't have to. No. But if you're self-employed, which is, it is one of the most confusing ones, you know, give, put a money on deposit with the government, kind of, kind of use your tax expert, use your registered financial planner. Most of them have a tax department in their office, get it close. I mean, it's tough your first year being self-employed because you just don't know, you don't have a history, right? But once you start to get into it, keep a record, look at it, try and get it accurate put money on deposit, um, and and it's okay if after you file, you're gonna get back a little bit, okay. you know, cause then there's no penalties, but you're not leaving them a ton of money. And after a couple of years of doing it, 
being self-employed, you're going to get a pretty good idea. Now, here's the silly one, Dave, um, yeah. what people don't realize. They, I hear this all the time. This just boggles my mind. It's okay. I don't have to file. I always get a refund. I'll file later. Okay. There's no penalties. You always get a refund. Why in the hell are you leaving the government your money to do nothing with? If you get, if you normally get a refund, why aren't you filing in like January or February if you have all your receipts? Like, you know, probably take it to the end of February, maybe early March to get all your T slips, your, that, you know, we'll talk about later, but, sure. but file as early as possible if you're getting money back. Put the money in your pocket, pay down debt, book a holiday, do some of that conversion of your mortgage to make it tax deductible, do the RSPs you normally do. We talked about this in an earlier episode, doing it at the last minute. Do them as soon as you get your taxes back. You're done for the year. And that money's earning money. Or put it in your TFSA, get growth tax-free, and then you'll have even more money to transfer over to your RSPs, which we've talked about before. Yeah. Like a whole host of things. But there's no excuse nowadays with everything with the computers, how easy it is to do your taxes. There's just no reason to be late, Dave. Here's the next question I've got for you. Um, and it sounds like it's it's a question that I really want to hear the answer to. Okay, what is a capital gain? Well, sounds good, doesn't it? Yes, gain it does. It's like, ooh, thing. capital gain. Um, gain is a good, well, gain is a good thing, except around the waistline when you've been sitting around uh, doing nothing for two years with COVID. The COVID <laughs> gain's not good, no. but capital gain is good. You're gaining money on your capital. So you've sold a property, you've sold um, some stocks or you've sold some investments, something that you've made money on. And these things have what's called, big term for me this morning, because I'm not a tax guy at my office, remember, okay. but I know enough about it, but there's what's called an adjusted cost base. So let's deal with property because there's a lot of that in the majority of our listeners, obviously in the Vancouver area. Um, so you, you bought a, a rental property. Yep. Uh, so that's the cost of it. But then you've put money into repairs and improvements and so-and-so. And, and the, the cost of that property or the adjusted cost base has increased. So what the real cost of the property is, and then you sell it. Well, when you sell it, you have if you've made money, if you've made money, then you have a capital gain. And that capital gain becomes taxable. Now, we've talked about this before, but through good, proper, well thought out and planned tax planning in advance of selling that property or investments or whatever the case may be, you can develop strategies and plans to use what's called um, eligible deductions to offset the gain. So give you... I'll give you a, a real life example that happened just recently with a lady um, in the White Rock area. She's 70 years old, still working, just does great things for charity in the community, makes really good money. Uh, a fan of yours, a fan of the show, came in to see us. And so that's one fan. Um, and uh, just one. And she had a, a rental property. And she her profit on that rental property, she thought, if she sold it, was about 300, little more than $300,000. Well, 
but the rental property was becoming a pain. And, and it's not really just because of some other issues, what she's making in rent isn't helping her in real life. It's just not making her enough money. And her biggest fear was, gosh, if I sell this, I'm going to have all those capital gains. She thought like $300,000. So we sat with her and talked about it and we crunched the numbers to figure out her adjusted cost base. So because there'd been repairs over the years, et cetera, and all these other things, and, and you're going to have closing costs, right, Dave? Like when you sell yeah. the property, you have the legal fees and, and, and um, commissions. Ooh, there's another word for the real estate people. No, that's okay. They did a great job for her getting her top buck actually. But in the end, the adjusted cost base and the or the capital gain, sorry, because the adjusted cost base going up wasn't three hundred thousand. I mean, she did make three hundred thousand in profit. She made a little more than that actually, but the capital gain part of that profit was really about two hundred and forty six thousand dollars. Okay, made three hundred, but but again, we were able to shrink those numbers legally through things she had done. So when I talked about eligible deductions, what things can you write off to offset a capital gain? Well, she had a ton of RSP room. Oh. So if you buy RSPs, those are one of those eligible deductions offset capital gains. So on the $246,000, she needed half that. That's the rule. You need to write off half of that. So she needed 123,000. She had about 150,000 of RSP room. Now, remember the key thing I said way earlier. So let's see if you're paying attention, Dave. Okay. How old did I say she was? Uh, north of 70. 60, 70. Yeah, okay. 70. 70. Okay. Dave, yeah. it's early. I know. I hit you. Get your coffee. Get your tea. <laughs> wake up. But she's only going to be able to buy RSPs for another year. So if she had waited a couple of years to sell that property, she couldn't use. those RS, That RSP contribution room would have disappeared. She's wow. too old. Wow. So instead, we took $123,000 of the profit, put it straight into RSP, and bada bing, bada bang, she pays no tax on that capital gain to the government. And she still had leftover RSP room to put against her you know, $80,000 income. And she's going to work for another year or two. But here's the thing. She was really short on what she needed, she felt, for retirement. And the numbers mm -hmm. proved it. But she just got an influx of $300,000. She's no longer short on what she needs for retirement. Yeah. And not only that, she wasn't writing a check to the government. So yeah. there's a long story short thing, but about capital gain. There's other deductions too. Um, management fees. If you're investing money in what's called a taxable account. Remember when we had Janice Soudan on here uh, yeah. last month or whenever that was, I don't remember, but a while back talking about taxable accounts, or as we call them, non-registered. Well, with portfolio managers, you can write off those management fees. Those can go against a capital gain. And the other thing is, we've talked about before, carrying charges or the interest on a line of credit or interest on a mortgage that you've invested the money, that interest charge or known as a carrying charge, also tax deductible against a capital gain. So those are some of the key things to reduce paying that capital gain tax to the government because we don't want to do it. And I don't want to do it. <laughs> Who does? Okay. But here's the other no, side. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> here's the other side of this equation. What is a capital loss? Well, capital loss is not good because no. the, the thing you bought is now worth less than it was earlier. 
But sometimes you can create capital losses on on purpose to offset and put against those capital gains, kind of helping you earn some of that lost money back because you're not going to pay tax on that portion of your gain. So you get to keep the money. So capital loss is not always a bad thing. You can turn it into a positive and, and that is a key to look for. Well, this gets us to a, a whole different other thing. And when I saw this, I, I really kind of rolled my eyes on it because I'm going to oh, hold on here for a second. What is a tax loss harvesting? Okay. Yeah. I'm from the well, prairies. I get it. Harvesting. Farming, yeah. You tell me. Yeah. We're farmers. Yes. Yeah. But, but this is things that are done on purpose and portfolio management companies, man, kudos to them. And I know I, I praise them all the time. I don't own one. I'm not you know, part of one full disclosure there. I just use them and I've been using them now for about 12 years when I saw the light, but tax loss harvesting, this is so good, Dave. So they look at, maybe not last year, the markets were so incredibly good, but they look at, you know, in December, they'll look at a lot of the portfolios and they'll say, are there things we can sell on purpose right now that are in a loss position? Cause they're not going to pick everything right. No one does. If you didn't, well, that'd be, you know, that'd be amazing, but it's not real. As we said, portfolio managers need to be right about 60 or 70% of the time to make sure they make you good money. But tax loss harvesting, they look at some of these items. Maybe they're slow movers. Maybe they had a bad, companies had a bad year, whatever. Maybe they still believe in those companies. Just they're down right now for whatever reasons. Could be the industry. Heck, we saw a lot of that during COVID, right? Companies yeah. artificially down because of COVID and supply chain issues, et cetera. So they'll sell off these companies, sell off these stocks to create losses, especially if, imagine, like I said, 60 or 70% of the time they're right. So imagine if 60 or 70% of the portfolio is doing really well and 30% isn't. They will sell off things on purpose to create losses, to offset some of those gains you're gonna have to claim, allowing you to not really take a loss but not have to pay tax on all those gains because the losses can offset some of those gains. Not, they're not going to set offset all of them, but I've seen in the past sometimes significant tax loss, tax loss harvesting that has offset a significant portion of gains and saved people a significant amount of tax. And that's just proactive work by the portfolio management companies on behalf of their clients. Cause remember they are a fiduciary, and they're doing these things to work out, you know, to work for their client's best interest and, and help you save on taxes, which is a good thing. But to the average guy, and I'm, I'm talking to myself here, all of this sounds complicated. And I, I'm a great believer in the KISS philosophy. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, how much do you run into that when people just look at you and they've got that glazed eye kind of thing looking back at you going like, what the hell are you talking about? Because it, it comes across complicated. Daily. Yes, I believe Daily. it. But, yes. but you you know with our Omni formula, selfish plug, uh, with our Omni formula, though, we're not one of those companies, and people find this bizarre sometimes. This is true, and you know me, so you know me for so long. We're not one of those pe companies who sit there and do a three-hour interview with you once a year, give you a review, tell you how great we are, slap ourselves on the back, and say, see you next year for your review. We'll Our biggest thing, and why you and I started this stuff and doing this, the podcasts and the, and the shows we do on, on the networks and the radio. It's about educating people. It's trying to teach people, because I've been a big believer in this for years. There's too much baffling with bullshit in our industry in Canada. 
too much people confusion, confusing people, acting like they're high and mighty and talking down to people. Let's make this simpler for people. Do these things, because yes, this is confusing, but the nice thing about a podcast is you can rewind, go back, and just focus on that little area over and over again until you understand it. But the job of your registered financial planner, any financial planner for that matter, even if they don't have all the credentials, is to educate you, not to sell you one product and say, see you later, look how great we are. If they're not taking the time to educate you and teach you about your money, look for someone else who is willing to take the time. And, And that's why me and all my associates, when we set up a plan, it can take five, six meetings to do a plan for someone. And then we may meet with them two or three times a year to educate them. And it's funny. I mean, people are going to watch this. I know, but early in the year, so in January and early February, all we do is book meetings with clients to go over statements, but not for the sake of saying, look what we did last year. Nothing could be further from the truth. We're pulling capital gains reports and saying, okay, here's your capital gain. It's going to eat up this much of your management fee, this much of your interest deduction if you have one. Uh, Maybe we need to do RSPs because if your advisor isn't doing that, definitely go elsewhere because, you know, the excuse, and I've heard this, Dave, so many times it makes me sick. The excuse of, well, what's your problem? You made money. They don't might say it that way. Well, some of them do say it that way at some of the places. You, You made money, so isn't that a good thing? It is. But making money in a capital gain and keeping money is even better. So so what we do, again, being proactive, is we have a meeting with every one of our clients by mid-February. We'll be done. And everyone will know their capital gains. And if they have enough things in place, deductions, these eligible deductions, to offset the gain so they give none of that capital gain back to the government. And... If I can, if I can make sure I address every single client and nobody pays tax or everyone gets, you know, no one pays as much as possible. We've, we've, we've looked under every rock, then that's what your advisor should do. And that's what we do at everything financial is it, it's a lot easier if you keep the easy money than depending just on the portfolio manager to make you the hard money. Which gets me to my next question. Again, we're talking about, you know, taxes and how you keep them down and all of that RSPs. Let's get into this. Yeah. How much can they save you? They can save you nothing. Ooh. Or they can save you up to 53.5%. And we've talked about this before. It all depends on your tax bracket. Okay. How much should you buy an RSP? So there's a couple of ways to look at it. You got to design a plan with your registered financial planner and have a plan for retirement. So how much do how much do RSPs partake and help move that plan forward, right? How much do they help me? Where are they going forward, et cetera? But imagine this, if you're in a 24% tax bracket and you buy $1,000 in RSPs, you're gonna get back $240. Okay. Now that doesn't mean you're gonna get a refund of $240, Dave. That means you're gonna get $240 in tax savings. Because what if you were that self-employed person we talked about earlier on about tax deadline and you didn't pay the government any taxes yet? How do you get a refund if you didn't give them any money? So tax savings. But if you're you're in the 38.29% tax bracket, 
then you're going to get, you know, $382.90 back if you put $1,000 in. But here's the key. And and the tax brackets are close in some areas. If you're in a 38.29% tax bracket and you put in too much to RSPs, and it drops you down to a 32% tax bracket, or gosh, what about if it drops you down to a 24% tax bracket? That same $1,000 that would have got you 382, but you put too much into RSPs per thousand, now it's only getting you $24 per thousand? Ouch. In what world does that math make sense? And now you know, this is my conspiracy theory, why the government wants you to buy so much in RSPs. They would love nothing more. You think, well, I get a way smaller, I pay way less in taxes. No, you get a way smaller refund. You're getting way less money back from the government. They're keeping all the rest. That's the way I look at it. Make RSPs a tax strategy first, investment strategy second. Get the most bang for your buck. Because guess what? If you're in a job, and this happened through this happened through COVID a lot, where people are you know, getting good bonuses because of the work they're in and they're getting raises, et cetera. Or if you're in a job and you know, I'm going to make 90000 this year and I'm going to make 110000 next year and I'm in a different tax bracket, you can save some of those RSP deductions for next year when you're making more money. And it's going to make more of a, a bigger bang to your bottom line. So look at taxes as, you know, RSP, sorry, is one of those things to be a tax enhancement, help with your savings. Don't just buy RSPs for the sake of what am I going to earn? What am I going to earn? If you're giving it all back in tax, you're not making nothing. And the key is taxes. Let's talk taxes. That's what this is all about today. Let's say you're in the top tax bracket, 53.5% in BC. But according to Horgan, we have the lowest taxes in Canada. Um, Politicians, man. Nice spin. But if you buy it at 53.5 and you can cash in your RSPs and start to spend them in a 20% tax bracket, that's good tax planning. Yeah. That's what you yeah. want to do. Now, one of the things that you brought up earlier in the show here is about the whole difference between being an employee and being self-employed. So let's expand on this a little bit more here. How do these taxes now work if you are, quote unquote, self-employed? Yeah, you're you're paying installments. Um, well, sorry, let's, let's back that up. Sure. The government is phoning you and telling you to pay installments that you have to pay installments. You don't have to pay installments. Why give your money to the government? But, but you have to be responsible and make sure you're not paying late, like we talked about. Even though you may yeah. not file till later in the year, till that June 15th date, in all fairness, you're like a regular wage earner and you still have to pay your taxes by April 30th. And, and I'm not picking on the government here because that's a known fact by everybody. And it's your kind of fault if you don't follow those rules. It's all out there. You know the rules. You're Even though you're self-employed, you're paying taxes like a regular wage earner, except you're responsible to submit, file, et cetera, unlike your employer if you're a norm, you know, normal salaried employee person. Sure. But you also get deductions. I mean, you can report business deductions and write things off too that will, you know, you made X, but you had to run your business. So X is now Y and you made less, whatever the case may be. Um, so, you know, you, you've got to keep all that. So, so you get, you know, better deductions. Um, your expenses for work are write-offs, 
but you still have to pay on time. If you don't want to pay those installments, tell the government, like say to them, I don't know what I'm going to pay. My, it changes every year. They'll tell you, oh, but we want, you know, you do this. You don't have to just, just make sure that you're not late. Cause if you're, if you're late, they warned you, they asked you to pay installments. And sometimes, sometimes though, people are maybe not that disciplined. Maybe don't plan that well. And, or maybe it's just a big nut. It's a big dollar maybe um, for what you need. So you know what, then you have to pay the installments maybe just in case anyways, just to keep you ahead. And that's, I'm not saying it's, I like it because I don't like giving the government money in advance where they're not giving you anything back for it. Who likes that? Nobody. But if that's the only way you can save, then maybe you just have to do it that way. So what happens to the, the individual who just sits there and waits for the phone to ring, hoping that the government does not call you? I mean, it, it is about the installments as you've been talking about, it, but there are people that, that think like that. You know, oh no, I'm just, I'm fine. I'm okay. The phone hasn't rung. Tick tock. You tell me. Um, yeah, but you don't want to have to pay that penalty if your installments are late or less than required. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying. You, you just, I know it's the government, but I mean, they're not really doing this for your best interest. But, <laughs> no. but if, what if you're getting, what if you work for yourself employed and you're getting income from lots of different, um, places and lots of different, you know, you're collecting from lots of different things, then the installments might not be a bad idea. And installments doesn't mean the whole tax bill, but it may get you way ahead to this, to the point that you only owe them a little bit at the end. And and then again, it helps with the penalty. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you owe less than a thousand dollars in, in 2022, you know, you're not going to get the penalty. Um, are under a thousand dollars in the interest charges, just COVID things and different things like that. So if you get it close, I mean, it's, it's like a, who said normal person. It's like a tax person, uh, a normal person who pays their tax all the way along. Your employer deducts your tax, your employer submits, blah, blah, blah. Well, you don't have that money all year anyways. It's sitting there on deposit with the government. So sometimes for self-preservation and discipline, <laughs> that's where installments help okay. when, you do it that way because I do have stories of people, you know, and we we have our friends that we've sent send people to Sands and Associates, which we're going to be doing a podcast with them one day about bankruptcies and things like that, or okay. you know, all these other horrible, nasty things. But a lot of times, the one of the biggest things they've they've seen, they've talked about it, is people with tax debt, and because they didn't do things right, they didn't yeah. plan, they didn't pay them, etc. And you know what? You just don't want all that tax debt. That's not a lot of fun either. So maybe installments are a good thing. Because okay. the government phoning you isn't a fun thing. No. You don't want that. No, no. So th that leads us to this question, which I think is the single biggest, most important question that I'm going to ask you not only on this podcast, but maybe all year. Are you ready? Buckle down. Here it okay. comes. How can you make sure, I'm praying to the to the tax gods here, that you are prepared to complete the everything financial tax check list. It's a big one. It's ominous. It is, Dave. Okay. You said it with that, that Darth Ooh. Vader type voice almost. Scary. It is Scary. ominous. Go onto our website, grab that tax checklist. It's there for everyone to see. You don't have to be a client of everything financial. Again, we're about educating people and putting the power of your money in your hands. 
be prepared when you go in to see your tax professional, accountant, bookkeeper, whatever they are. Doesn't you know they're not they're not always accountants, but pull off the checklist and go through everything that's on there to just go, hey, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. It it, it really does make sure you don't leave any stone unturned and you have all the items there. That's the key. And, And I mean, go through it. Call us if you want. Maybe you're not a client. We've had, we do get a lot of clients who have come in just for help with taxes and then they maybe become clients later on. Um, But, you know, it's reasonable to get your taxes done. I mean, if you're, if you're someone who has a T4 and that's basically it, maybe you have some medical receipts or some charitable donations, a lot of those online softwares, you can do it yourself. But, but a lot of companies like ours and other bookkeeping companies are very, very reasonable to help you with your taxes and make sure you don't miss things. But start out with the checklist, start organizing. Oh yeah, don't leave it till April 29th though. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, we have this on our website all the time. Start planning for taxes beginning of January. Maybe we should have posted this podcast way earlier. Well, next year okay. we'll post the 2022 sure. one in January again. So repost re, re so people can see it. Start early in the year, gather these items because here's the funniest thing. And I know, I bet you've done this way back in your past life. Okay. Because we've all done it. We've all done it. Where you've gone in, your tax filing system is a shoebox <laughs> or a grocery bag. He, he's laughing because he knows it. And you've gone into your accountant with the bag and go, here's all my receipts. Um, guess what? Everyone has time is worth money. Yeah. If that's your tax preparation, you're paying someone to sort all that out and add it up. So um, you might want to have a, a system in place where you have all this stuff added up. The tax checklist that we have can help you do that and add everything up to make it a little easier. Yeah. See, I, I have a system. It's called Brenda. That's the system. You got everything taken care of. By the way, it was great to see Brenda yesterday. I hadn't seen Brenda in Bentley in a while. So we digress. But yes, it was very nice to see Brenda (laughs) and you in person yesterday, not with a frame around. Bentley, of course. Of course. And thanks for the coffee, by the way. And then Bentley peed on the light post. (laughs) As long as Brenda's not doing it, we're okay. Just to to digress. Imagine in society what the chaos would be. And how our jails would be overrun if we behaved like Bentley. Yeah. I mean, you're walking downtown Vancouver, beautiful sunny day. And sometimes you just got to go, Dave. Yeah, you got to go. And so we did what our furry friends do, and we yeah. found the nearest post and peed. Yeah. But even worse, how do we <laughs> greet each other, Dave, with a handshake or a fist pump nowadays sure. with COVID? Geez, imagine if we did what our furry friends Bentley do and we started, you know, putting our nose up. People, never mind. Anyways, so we'd be in jail. Well, you so, can do anyway. that, but it's, I just it's thought better it was if fun it's yesterday. Yeah, but if it's better if it's if it's like two a.m. in the morning, you know, and you're you're, you're leaving some bar. Hey, or something, it's you know what I yeah. say? Two things in life. Okay, nothing ever good happens after two no. a.m. No, look at your past. <laughs> and here's a golf here's a golf analogy. Okay, and nothing ever good happens if you stand more than twenty seconds over a golf ball. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying things go through your head. Uh, okay. Uh, so. Where were we? Okay. So where are we off to we'll next? What's our next question for a for second? Uh, home office. If you got one, does that save you money? 
Absolutely. We're, and a lot of people have been working from home. Um, it's significant. We do have a home office uh, okay. guide too that you can reach out to us for. But, you know, you've got to figure out if you're if you have to work from home. Well, that's a great thing, but you'll have costs. You have heat, hydro. Yeah. You, know, you got to run your computers if you're working from home. You got a telephone theoretically. Um, you know, it, it takes up a, a certain amount of workspace in your house. Heck, when you're working from home, you do got to run to the bathroom. Maybe you got to buy TP can be yeah. on your home office expense. I mean, it, it, it's a lot of people, according to, there's this survey out by a company called Flex Jobs who did this thing. And the average person who works from home, the average write-off is about $4,000. Yeah. So just think of the money you're peeping away, not referring to Bentley in this case and peeping no. on the post, but imagine the money that's going away if you're working from home and you're not writing it off. And some people, I've heard this from people, they go, ah, it's not a big deal. It's only a little bit of time. It's only a little bit of expense. Yeah, but your home office is, say, 10% of your house. So you have taxes or rent or you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, interest on the mortgage. You got, you know, like I said, you got your your heat, hydro, phone. Like there's there's other costs. Yeah, insurance, home insurance. So, I mean, I don't have the list in front of me. But we'll, probably, we'll put it up for people, though. Um, it, 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 you know, there's expenses there that you don't realize. And just adding those up, well, like I said, maybe it's four, maybe it's five, maybe it's three. But whatever that write-off is, it's tax saved back in your pocket that can be used for other things. And that's the important part. Again, our job is educate people. Yeah. Don't leave any stone unturned. Now, if people want to learn more about exactly what you're talking about right here, what should they do? Go to everythingfinancial.com. Uh, Go to Everything Financial Group on YouTube to download the podcasts. But go to the website, call us, uh, reach out, send an email, or just even for starters, just download that checklist to help you get organized this year, if nothing else. Um, and, and reach out and ask the questions because there comes a time when it can get more confusing. There's certain people this year where there's a, a deduction allowed for COVID that, wow. you know, it, I mean, I want people to be able to use this for years to come, but, you know. COVID things are allowing, allowing extra write-offs and different things like that. So it never hurts to send an email, make a call, and just get a little bit of help. It's yeah. not a bad thing. Yeah. Whatever you do, don't don't call Bentley. Call call Peter. That's So we've got to make sure we get, we're clear on that. Yeah. No question about it. Exactly. But you know what? <laughs> reaching out, reaching yeah. out for some guidance and making a phone call does not cost you any money. No. It may save you money. And and I know this. When we get people call us, if we feel we're not going to bring value and there's really not enough we can do, we won't have them waste their money because I'm the preacher about not wasting fees, not wasting money. I, you know, yeah. I talk about it all the time. We'll say to people, no, you should be good. Just do this. And we'll gladly give people a tip without charging them. We don't we don't have a little, you know, bell that rings when the phone rings and go, OK, you start the clock. Let's build them. You know, um, when you when you call everything financial on the toll free line, it's you know an eight hundred toll free not line, not a nine hundred toll free line. So there's no charge. You don't have to put like to talk to Peter Sashecki. Please punch in your credit card. No, it doesn't work like that. So where any of me or my staff, the team is glad to help people and point them in the right direction. Especially like I said, but but I mean, gosh, Brian in our office. Call Brian Akita in our office. Um, the, the amount of taxes he does 
is insane. And if it's something that's even above our head, we solicit outside help from some of our other tax teams we use too, especially on the corporate side. Um, So reach out for help, get advice, because it might be the best few dollars you've ever spent. And here's the final thing I'm going to throw by you. Um, the, the element of fear, um, especially when, when you're dealing with stuff that you really don't understand. And trust me, come tax time, I mean, I get the glazed look as well as everybody. How big oh, of yeah. a factor is that fear? And by making this one phone call, as you're just talking about, how, how can you make that fear go away? Oh, it's so it, it is so easy in all walks of what we do, Dave, not just taxes, yeah. but everything we've talked about over the, the, the season about um, the financial planning aspect, everything. Fear, fear drives so many people to make bad decisions. Yeah. And what you one of the best things I ever heard in all your years in sports was about and it's true and I use it all the time about making an emotional decision. Fear causes emotion. Yeah. Emotional decisions cost you money. That's the thing. Get help so that you no longer make an emotional decision. You make a logical, methodical, well thought out decision about your taxes and finances and everything else in life. Fear is an emotion and it just causes bad decisions. And you and I know we've seen it in sports because that's how we met years. Tons of decisions made, emotional decisions made over fear. Um, Bad contracts signed bad trades made over fear, um, all sorts of things, bad decisions in general over fear. Um, you know, and that's what your registered financier should do is, is remove the fear, help you make logical, non-emotional, well thought out decisions. That's what you need. You need someone on the sidelines, like we talked about, take away the emotion and have that Dr. Phil moment. And, uh, and just help you help you help you wade through the crap and the mist and the fog and make a good decision. And taxes are no different because everyone's fearful of taxes. What if I'm going to owe? What if I'm going to go? And like the lady we talked about early in the episode with our kind of capital gains point wasn't going to sell her house out of fear of taxes. Yeah. So we broke it down yeah. and showed her. The real fear was if she didn't sell it, how much tax she would be paying in a couple of years from now with the increase in prices when she could no longer use an RSP deduction and turned the fear into education. And now she's going to be able to retire Marianne because I know she watches her podcast. I'm not allowed to say her last name. There's a million yeah. Marianne's out there, okay. but, uh, but, but a person who benefited from investigating and making the right decision. So forget, you know, Dr. Phil, go right directly to Dr. Peter and you're going to be there. Well, yeah, so, not a doctor, but but just okay. an RFP, not a sure, PhD. Sure. There you go. <laughs> As always, Peter, great stuff. And hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back soon. That's a promise, not a threat. And uh, thanks for following us on your uh, favorite podcast platform and YouTube. And if you have a question for Peter, just go to your money at everythingfinancial.com. Thanks as always, Peter. Adios. Thanks, Dave. I know taxes are not the best subject, but no. we did what we could. Adios. Adios.